0: Welcome, everybody, to the next edition of the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravella, I'm the co-host of this show. And I am Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host of the show. And this is a special edition of the uh, American Shoreline Podcast. We're in Austin, Texas, at the Gulf of Mexico Alliance meeting, and we are proud and pleased to have the leadership of this organization and some of the key people to talk to us about what the Gulf of Mexico Alliance does, and I'm going to ask you all to introduce yourselves, and. T- Yeah. Give the audience your full name and what you guys do for the organization or in your professional careers.
1: All right. I guess I'll start. I'm Rhonda Price and I chair the Coastal Resilience Team for the Gulf of Mexico Alliance.
2: Hi, I'm Nikki Pace. I'm a research attorney with the Louisiana Sea Grant um, Law and Policy Program at Louisiana State University.
3: Hi, I'm Tracy Sempier. I'm the Regional Program Manager for the Gulf of Mexico Alliance, and I also serve as the Coastal Storms Program Coordinator for the Mississippi-Alabama
4: Sea
0: Grant Consortium.
4: Hi, I'm Chris Shepard. I'm Director of Science for the Nature Conservancy's Gulf of Mexico Program.
0: It is great to be sitting here. This is uh, with three fantastic uh, professionals who work every day in this space on four and and this is the coastal resiliency team. Rhonda, we had you on yesterday to tell us about Goma, so we're pretty up to speed. Um, but the re- resiliency team for the for those refresh our listeners' memories what what is tell us a little bit about what the resiliency team does as one of the six teams of the Gulf of Mexico
1: alliance sure well the coastal resilience team is as you said one of the teams part of the Gulf of Mexico alliance and um, our mission is just to help prepare Uh, communities um, to adapt and and recover uh, from change that may have occurred through coastal hazards or maybe even Mm -hmm. man-made disasters. So just making them healthy and uh, a resilient coast.
0: Great. And uh, the Gulf of Mexico program, a five-state alliance, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Representatives of every state appointed by the governor, and the job is to coordinate policy and programs and projects between all of the Gulf states, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Texas and Louisiana.
3: Got it. Mm-hmm. We
0: can't put no Georgia in this. No. They're not no on Georgia. the Gulf. They're <laughs> over there on the southeast coast. Um uh, nothing against Georgia. I love Tybee Island, you know, but uh, but I got to tell you, we've convinced these four to sit down with us because it's been a very long day. They've been in the w- working through presentations for eight hours and talking about professional uh, projects they're working on, and so I just want to thank you all. I'm glad you all have a glass of wine. This is a very informal. <laughs> The, the happy hour, the post-day happy hour has already started, so we want to you know just uh, not take too much of y'all's time. But uh, what I'm curious about really, and this is the thing listening to the presentation yesterday and looking through the agenda, uh, this job of coordinating multi-jurisdiction programs and policies for the greater good of the Gulf of Mexico is especially on the topic of resiliency and storm preparedness. It's a tough topic to tackle, and I would love to hear from y'all what is the best success that y'all have had in the last three. When you think about all of the effort and the time that you guys put into this, what really jumps out as you as being successful exercise of the GOMA team, resiliency team?
1: Well, I think first off, I'd have to say a partnership. So we have, through the resilience team, we um, have created a lot of partnerships and collaborations where we probably wouldn't have that opportunity outside of the creation of of the alliance. Right. Um, Yeah, Yeah, that's
4: that's true. And some of us are on projects together and we met through the alliance and now we're working together to promote resilience and communities across the Gulf and bringing our experience together. Yeah, you know, we're leveraging funds in a lot of cases for projects. We're not
3: duplicating efforts, you know, so I think right. we're enhancing each other's um, projects and other buck. More
0: states. bang for the buck, more bang better, better the outcomes.
2: It, it lets us be more strategic, too, with being able to work across state lines with our different partners.
0: No doubt, because there isn't anything about storms or water or the issues that are on the Gulf of Mexico that pay attention to state lines. So it makes absolutely no sense to sort of manage this bit by bit or county by county. Right. Um, you mentioned uh, Chris working collaboratively with uh, others. Uh, tell us about some of the collaborative projects that you guys have pulled off and who'd you work with and what did you do?
4: Well, we have a project ongoing right now and um, one of the exciting aspects of, of coming to these meetings is seeing people from the communities that we work with. So Amanda Torres was here from the city of Rockport, and she's yeah. a, a planner, and she's been working with members of the team for for several years on resilience planning. And then, unfortunately, they were impacted by Hurricane Harvey. Mm, and that's
0: an understatement. They were yeah, impacted. Yep, uh, Rockport, severely. Texas, yeah. down on the mid-Texas coast, got bashed by. Was it Harvey? Yep. Before it went up to Houston and drowned the city.
4: That's right. Uh, it's destroyed. severe damage. Uh, they lost, I think, 50% of structures, I think at least. Yeah. Um, but she's been someone who's been a champion of resilience, and we've rallied behind her and supported a lot of her efforts prior to the storm. So it's really neat to see her apply what she's um, been working on through through GOMA. Some of her work's been funded through GOMA, and she was here uh yesterday presenting on that yeah, and
3: just to see whatever best practices are coming out of what they're doing in uh, rockport is very helpful because then we can take that and translate it to communities in other parts of the gulf
2: yeah and i would just add too that making these community connections gives us the chance to go out um and pilot tools or refine tools or things like that and so uh, because of our connection with Amanda we were able to go back out to Rockport in June and do a community resilience index with mm. them post storm and kind of see the difference in things and um, that's helping us refine our project right. uh, and for the future. one of the,
0: that I learned a little bit about that community resilience index yesterday Rhonda and that is a kind of a con- critical baseline determination. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what it means and how you use it?
1: Well I'm going to punt that question to Tracy because that was <laughs> Was <laughs> actually um, one of her projects that she started with. With under our action plan too uh, a couple of years ago.
3: All right, so it's a self-assessment, so sort of like if you're not sure exactly what's going on, you know, if you think about uh, hey, um, I need to get that uh, little spot on my skin checked out, you Mm -hmm. know, and see what's going on with that. So it's it's a very similar process except for it's for community resilience. So you go in and uh, not during a storm, you go in during a blue blue skies planning and uh, you take a look at what your strengths are, but also what your vulnerabilities are and what you need to um, think about improving and where you need to put resources uh, for the future. What kind
0: of things would you evaluate? What would be involved if I were a small town mayor when you came to town? What would we count, look at, measure assess what would it yeah, give us so, some examples
3: so we have six main sections one of those would be looking at your critical infrastructure and facilities you know and where those are located if they're in the special flood hazard mm-hmm. if so um you know where where could they be relocated if they needed to be wow. water or wastewater that kind of thing exactly li- lift stations you lift know stations. that kind of thing um we might look at um, mitigation measures you're already taking within your community what are you already implementing uh your social systems do you huh. have any uh Churches or social groups that are strong and are they right. coordinated, those kinds of things
0: yeah, that community resiliency thing is really interesting, mm-hmm. and uh, I had an opportunity to talk to Pat Forbes uh, who 's the uh, uh, community HUD program resiliency director for Louisiana, and he talked about this notion of community resiliency and the and the basically the people, not the stuff that gets affected it does the community have the network of human beings that can recover and stay together and it's churches and civic groups and and that's part of that assessment is that what you're telling us tracy
3: yeah absolutely and not only do you have those but as you just mentioned are they coordinated do they know what resources um, each other have and in a lot of cases it may not be their mission to come in after a storm sometimes you know like after hurricane katrina we had a lot of um, folks from the red cross that provided services that normally are not um, Mm -hmm. part of their regular uh, mission so just having the community leaders understand what resources available, how they're going to be staged, who has access to it, who's their point of contact. Wow. Those things are extremely
0: important. So you do an assessment, you prepare a report and you give them some recommendations and say, you know what would be great is if you fix this DUNE system right here or you did XYZ. Is that how this goes?
3: Yeah, so it'd be really bad for us to come in though and do an assessment and not uh, stick with it, right, and right. help to implement something. So not only do we identify those vulnerabilities, but then um, we've been fortunate enough to be able to provide small grants so that the communities that go through the process then can say okay here's our top priority mm. and here's what we want to take care of and then they implement projects and it's different for every single right. community that custom does it built, custom one built one
0: size fits all kind of but, thing
4: but you bring up a good point in that nature can be a part of the solutions right and that's really a lot of what i shine a light on in my role with the nature conservancy is those dunes the coastal vegetation salt marshes even oyster reefs yeah if they're built up in a breakwater formation that contributes to community resilience, so we really work together across all of our organizations to kind of help build resilience in one place with multiple strategies.
5: As always, we want to ta- uh, thank our sponsor, Dune Doctors, out of Pensacola, Florida. This is a Dune restoration and consulting uh, firm. They they work all along the Gulf shoreline, so all the way from the Texas shoreline all the way around over to the shoreline there in the Gulf side of Florida. They have you covered. Uh, they do great work. They are a hub vendor, uh, and uh, they're just a great sponsor. We're so happy that they came on board to,
0: to support Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Yep. So if you've got uh, a need for dune restoration and dune management with natural native dune plants, give them a call. Frederick Beresat, Dune Doctors at DuneDoctors.com. And that's one of the cool things that I like about the Gulf of Mexico Alliance is, hey, if I'm a small town mayor or a new city council member, and I, you know, just moved down from Indiana and I'm retiring and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be on the city council, you don't know a lot about this stuff, but there's this asset, this resource through GOMA and the resiliency teams where y'all can come in and talk to them about what happens, bring them up to speed, you know, share resources, that kind of thing, and, and really try to up the game for all these towns along the Gulf of Mexico. Is that fair kind of way to describe it?
1: yeah absolutely. um you know, in my capacity with a state agency, when the mayors come in, they you know may be new, they may be old, and we always like to um as you call it courtesy call them just to make sure that the everything that they need is you know um um they're getting what they need, and if there's something that we can help provide, then you know. Like I said, one of the successes and um, uh, benefits of the alliance is if there's something, a resource that maybe that mayor is interested in, then I have these partners within the team. I could reach out to Chris and say, hey, could you help, you know, this mayor in Biloxi oh, with a community rating systems, pro- uh, you know, question. Right. Or Tracy or Nikki with a resilience index assessment. Wow. So um, it is... Uh, there's a lot of avenues to success.
0: Well, the, go ahead. Try, uh, I was just going to say ahead, we're Kelsey. a built-in
3: support network for mm-hmm. each other and for communities, especially for new people coming in. There's a lot of turnover in leadership at local yeah. government level, and so you know there's you've got to have some consistency somewhere, right? So yeah. if we can go in and even make a small difference, having saying, look, we've got a team of you know folks coming in ready to you know help you with stuff. If we can be coordinated, that helps them, makes wow. it a lot less confusing,
0: and a lot of expertise that can be transferred from similar communities along the gulf of mexico and really try to tackle these complicated issues
3: yeah i would certainly hope so so we're we're actually just finished a bunch of videos not long ago and so uh, we're highlighting things from uh, different communities around the gulf the gulf and um, sometimes that speaks right the words yeah i mean the you know pictures and the words
0: well who wants to answer this question please i'd love to get some thoughts from all of y'all but um, and and Nikki please uh, <laughs> <laughs> who is the lawyer in the group and that means she's the smartest and the most careful you oh, know? She's no, not, no, that's <laughs> is um, is, uh, it, it, is the response good I mean did it does this work uh,
2: I certainly think so um, Like, just even me coming in as a new person into this world, right? Like, uh, 10 years ago, it was a great resource immediately for me to come to one meeting, meet so many people I needed to know professionally to be successful in my job, which was to go out and help these communities and do these things. Um, So, it gave me a lot of professional development, I would say, as well as um, bringing me up to speed and and letting me know who the players are in Florida or Texas or wherever. I'm looking, right. like, so that I can reach out to folks and, and learn from their experiences as well as pass that information along as, as I've you know been involved longer. Yeah, yeah, 100% works. Without a Goma Coastal Resilience
4: Team, some of these communities would have all of us separately knocking on their door, trying to help, but because it wasn't coordinated, it might be confusing um, and overwhelming, but we do try to coordinate and integrate what we're doing in each of the communities so that we can work as a team.
0: You know, it's one of the things that I like to do with the American Shoreline Podcast Network is I don't think the general public understands how hard uh, public servants work and how much they energy goes into it, because I, having worked in state government and been around professional people and seeing, <laughs> I know they don't get paid a lot of money. But this delivery of services model that y'all have developed, I think, is superb, and it, it makes available great resources to communities that, as you say, would not otherwise be able to necessarily write a check for a big-time consulting firm to come in and help them figure this stuff out. Uh, you guys do that as your core mission, and directed by the governors of each state. It's got a lot of horsepower behind it. It's fantastic. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of it.
4: Go, <laughs> my <I'm a> fan. <laughs>
0: but, uh, yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you all to comment on was it was it's clear to me, just having been around for a day and a half, that uh, that support network and the and and the professional uh, collegiality that comes out of this meeting. I guess. Uh, Um, Rhonda you guys meet every six months so you get together with your teams and it's clear you guys have been at this for a while so there's some real friendships here and some real talk about that part of it
1: Mm -hmm. yeah well that's you know i count that as another success um it is important that you know we just don't meet once a year at our at our all hands um meeting that usually takes place in june because you know we're there with six other teams and so when you get 400 people around um your your focus you know kind of gets spread around so we as a team we do like to meet up mid year kind of like what we're doing now in Mm -hmm. one of the host states. So we don't you know, you know, we're in Texas now, you know, we'll look to move to Florida, Alabama, or you know wow. one of the other that four states, fun. and uh, that way it gives everyone an opportunity to localize um, projects that are going on in their particular area, and so um, that is is a great advantage. We also do bi monthly calls, so we try to stay on top of a lot of projects that mm. are going on, and then um, you know learn from each other as well and yeah you know Um, As we said, while we were setting up, we may not even need to talk to each other. We could just, you know, we've worked with each other for so long. Yeah. We've got hand signals and eye signals (laughs) that, you know, that's like super code.
0: Super code. Who else wants to talk about the collegiality, the professional support network that y'all are involved with here?
3: Oh, it takes a lot of trust. It was the only thing I was going to add, right? And and trust takes time to build. And when you're working on projects and especially when you're working within communities, Mm -hmm. If, if, you're, if we're not meeting in person and we're not having these conversations regularly, it, it's hard to do that. It's hard to build that trust um, a, enough to where, you know, it's the first person I you know, go to when I need help, you mm-hmm. know. And, and I know what your specialty is. I know what your specialty is. And I know I can't do it by myself. Yeah. And I think that, that the group, um, and as, as people are brought into the group, I think that we all recognize that, that everybody has yeah. a specialty. We appreciate the expertise that each other bring to the table. And I think that helps build the trust. Yeah, you know,
4: absolutely. I I agree. And and the Gulf of Mexico is a is a unique place and a unique system and you know unique with the the Goma teams and also with the Deepwater Horizon oil spill there's a lot of funding that's coming into the system and because we are already coordinating through GOMA it allows us to kind of coordinate and plan for for projects related to the oil spill and it allows us to keep in touch on what we're working on even outside of resilience building so it's it's really great
0: Um, well you know that I think bringing up the oil spill is important because as a person who's worked at written grants for restore projects and chased all of this revenue on behalf of cities and counties along the Texas coast, um, the states are, to some extent, are in competition with each other. The Restore Council, which is the same five states, right, different group of people. Well some overlap. I think Toby Baker is on the GOMA team as a governor rep and is also on the Restore Council. Um, but there's there are literally, I think we, we can say, there's literally billions of dollars in investment revenue that is coming into the Gulf of Mexico communities through these instruments. The Gulf, uh, what is it, the Gulf Council and the tigs the one t- of the yep. t- I forget the, the tigs yep. the, the, the t- nerda the nerda team mm-hmm. the nif whiff community yep. and nobody's uh, gonna and know then, what
4: we're saying right I now know,
0: but, <laughs> well here's, what, <laughs> I, here's what i would say to the that's right
4: oil <laughs> Thank still fine thanks for reminding
0: me of that. but it's absolutely true and i think this is what we want the listeners to understand i mean we didn't mention gomisa phase two which is a massive infusion of capital into the uh, communities along the coast uh million in Texas, I know. Louisiana and Alabama, much more. Uh, But the Restore Act programs and NFWA funding, all of this. And I think this is what I'm curious about is, does the Gulf of Mexico Alliance play a role in sort of sorting out the priorities? Obviously, you're not the spending decision makers here. But is what you focus on and what you say about priorities, does it factor into those other streams? Or how does that all fit together?
4: It's, it's more of an opportunity to build collaborations to apply for that funding and identify where needs are, huh. um, because a lot of those projects, they're intended to benefit people and nature. Right. Um, and so, it, you know, the GOMA meetings provide an opportunity for us to talk about projects and what are the resilience benefits of some of these restore projects and how do we maximize that?
0: Got Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So if you guys put your stamp on something, if it's been presented, vetted, gone through the GOMA process, the teams think this is a solid investment, that may not be the final factor, but it would influence maybe at the Gulf Council level. Would it matter that, um, Rhonda, do you think that you guys are on board with things? Um, how do you play into the – I mean, this is the dollar part of it. I'm trying to find out if you guys – if it would be worth – you know the, the energy and the time because I mean obviously people ultimately need implementation dollars and mm-hmm. and does it help to be in your network? I think
1: that? it provides opportunity. Okay. And so um, you know we we are very intertwined. Um, like you said, there are some representatives that are part of the council that council that also you know are part of the alliance management team and so. Um, I think a lot of the um, um opportunities that are coming before the team are really project ideas that have been submitted in their selective states um whether or not that that weighs yeah. any merit or anything um we I think that's yet to be seen uh, We would it's like to early. think so, but I think I it's still think early so. in the game to um see if you know our alliance stamp has any any weight well, or I any hope bearing in decisions? Because I
0: think the cross-disciplinary professional, the, the level of professionalism available in the in just in this team is pretty impressive. Uh, there's a real cross-section of skills here that you think would would count. We'd also like to
5: thank TI Coastal Services out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, ti Coastal Services is a just exquisite coastal engineering firm. They work there along the Carolina shoreline. If you've listened to uh, Peter Ravella's Local Control podcast with Chris Gibson, yep. uh you will have you'll know a little bit about the care and responsibility that Ti Coastal Services uh, takes with when they approach a project.
0: Yep, and uh, ti Coastal Services dot com. Chris Gibson. Uh Barrier Island Restoration, Dune Restoration, Ports and Waterways, a Boutique Firm, Specialty Guys, First Rate, TI TICOASTALSERVICES.COM.
2: I will say that if I'm going after a grant, a lot of the people that I'm going to ask to partner with are in this room, right, okay. and I'm going to probably you. know about the topic because I've heard some communities say that they have a need or something like that. So I would say that this is where you develop your partners for your proposals and you develop your ideas and things like that through this network.
0: Thank you. That's kind of what I was trying to understand and I think that's true and it, you know, had I known about this more I think when we were working for communities on the coast, I would have hustled over here more often because I think that's that, you've got to put these things on the table. You have to vet them properly. You have to see if what you're doing is sensible and and I think that that would be the biggest advantage I, I would have taken advantage of.
3: Well, and there's some real history here too, right? So there's some people that have been doing this for a really long time, and so they're not going to be afraid. <laughs> You're looking
0: at Rhonda, <laughs> who I who I remember told me yesterday <laughs> since 1997, yeah. so that would be well, we won't say that's 20 plus years. Yeah.
3: But <laughs> but you know they're going to be quick to say if there's a if there's something that that gets presented or an idea or a project, right. you know, yeah, we tried that a uh, you know a while ago, so you know let's move forward with or, you know, whatever it is. So, I mean, I think that there's some yeah. advantage to having those, um, some really experienced people that have been doing this for a really long time mm. in the room and then, uh, you know, coupled with the new folks that come in.
0: Right, and the other thing I'm interested in, you know, it's it's the the GOMA team includes the Nature Conservancy, which is a nonprofit organization, and the rest of you guys are all governmental, right? What's the relationship? Well, be- what's the membership? I'll let Rhonda... Rhonda, tell us who gets to be on this
4: team well anybody <laughs> can anybody participate. anybody can
1: participate
0: yes.
4: okay so i'm not in a leadership role of of the team but i'm a, a participant and part of the oh, network I see. Yeah, yeah yeah the states lead mm-hmm. okay. the teams
1: okay yeah 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 it's a state-led partnership okay and just part of that partnership and collaboration we we look at academia we look at nonprofit. i mentioned yesterday you know our our business um that industry that that we um are now you know we're yeah we'd like to include um uh, i'm sure i'm missing but someone but um you know it's come all come one come all and okay. um, open door open door gotta
0: be mm-hmm. what can i ask this what is the annual is there what is the annual goma budget is there a, such a does anybody mm, know if you looked at Tracy all of the teams question. and how much are the states investing? Is it Do all the states put in the same amount? How does, does anybody know that?
3: So it, that has varied over the years that GOMA has been in existence um, in terms of um, we've had support from um, federal grants and okay. dollars. We've had support from the states in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's been um, cash dollars. Sometimes it's been by just providing the people necessary to take yeah, the leadership staffing, roles, the staffing, offices. the coordinators. Exactly. And then we have a public-private partnership that we started a few years ago called Gulf Star hmm. and that's where we ask um, you know we have business uh, partners the you know private sector and also um, try to use those dollars to go further in funding projects that the teams have deemed to be a high priority so we really use that action plan as our um, the action plan three the governor's action plan as our roadmap and then we try to fund you know projects that are high priority under that Got and we it. do that through that um, public-private partnership okay.
0: Uh, so, if I was a young marine biology student, or as I was a coastal engineer, or a hydrologist, or wanted to get into coastal professional career, um, is it uh, what is, it, is that a good thing to look to? Like maybe show up at a GOMA team meeting sometime and meet the pros. Uh, what do you get? What, what kind of outreach do you do to young professionals to uh, cultivate the next group of leaders?
2: So I'm going to step outside of Goma for just a second, but mm-hmm. we're C Grant. We're based at universities. We're yeah. academic-government partnerships. Um, and I would say we do, we certainly support our students. And, and um, I didn't necessarily have money to bring one to Austin for this trip, but had we been meeting locally in, in Louisiana nearby where I could support them coming, we do. We encourage them to participate, get yeah. a, a vision for their future.
0: Right. I mean, one of the things I think, Uh, that's a little surprising when you're in college and you're studying as a biologist or a hydrologist or an engineer and all of that.
2: Don't forget the lawyers. And the (laughs) lawyers.
0: (laughs) I have to admit, Nikki and I attended the same law school in the same program of environmental law, Lewis and Clark Law School, Northwestern School of Law, Portland, Oregon. Whoop. The Pioneers, is that our name? I don't yeah, know, I
2: believe we're I the Pioneers. The, I don't even... I'm, <laughs> that means football. Personal.
0: I never went to any, anything that involved the ball. I played, you know. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, and the lawyers. Um, but I think people don't really understand that so much of the skill set involves this coordination and government interaction and how to make programs function, I mean, it's not all about petri dishes and what's in the lab or what's you catch and. We
4: what... don't even really go in the water. Yeah,
0: no, this is a, Sorry to this ruin is the your real, fantasy. I know, this is the real art
1: of uh, of coastal management. Is the you better have that fun in college? Yeah. Is that right? That's right. Enjoy go your ca- fellowship. Right. Yeah. Go catch the
0: you know do a fish yeah. survey and a net and all that. But when you come in these rooms, it's about how you execute things within the public sphere, and it is mm-hmm. really a, a challenging. thing. Thing because of the variety of views that people have about this topic, you know, mm-hmm. how should we respond to the threat of erosion? I mean, yeah. it's you, not simple.
4: And you have to be credible without being authoritative. Yeah, you, know, you have to be a knowledgeable expert who's <laughs> listening and not telling people what to do but just providing the information
0: right so you're non-regular i mean this is you can't dictate this stuff because people don't like to be dictated (laughs) to anywhere but i think especially along the water (laughs) there's something about the independence of people along the water like
4: they're pirates get out of here (laughs) (laughs) don't tell me
0: there is i totally believe that there's a psychology of people who get close to the water that makes it particularly you know not difficult but you have to be skillful
1: yeah when i mean you know When you're um, a student and then you get your first job and, you know, you're out on the boat taking water samples or, you know, um, fish samples or... You know wetland delineation, the fun stuff, and then when you get a you know a couple of or a decade or so under your belt, right? Then you you take what you've applied that hands-on experience, and then you realize there's you know you are now equipped to deal with maybe some of the policies and planning and procedures that go wow. forward, in in helping you know inform the you know yeah. scientists of tomorrow, uh, communities, and uh, so those partnerships and friendships that you form along the way really um, gather in that institutional knowledge. Yeah, who
0: I mean, that's the idea I think is absolutely 100% true, Rhonda, and not fully appreciated is this how you become seasoned as a professional in resource management, particularly in coastal, because I think the... The issues are really complicated and it takes a while to absorb the information that you just the body of knowledge you have to have to navigate. Have y'all seen that kind of growth personally, professionally as well?
2: Yeah, I would say we meet every six months, and I learn something new every time. Isn't it true? That, that never changes. Yeah. 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 I remember my first week in my position in the Gulf
4: of Mexico program at TNC, and people saying, nif whiff, and nerda, <laughs> and goma. And I had right. to have a whole sheet where I wrote out all of what that was. <laughs> and, right. you know, you just kind of learn the ins and outs of decision making, and it varies so much across the Gulf because we have Restore, which is a federal agent is it an agency
0: uh Entity. federally administered Government. yeah Through sure, yeah. a federally created yeah and yeah, that varies all the, the way council. down
4: to the local level of you know so we're kind of work across those scales and you know you learn as you go
1: we have gotten better with the acronyms over the over the years. It's think? not a, a constant meeting of acronyms where you're, you know, <laughs> I see you are, and, and it's like, what uh, does you know, that
0: man. mean? CRS, this blah <laughs> yeah, blah blah. It's a community CRR, rating system. You yeah. have to know that is FEMA. That's the premiums. Everybody knows, knows FEMA though. When you say FEMA, everybody knows that. One. Yeah. We'll, just, <laughs> we'll be
3: just using emojis for this soon anyway. So
0: that would <laughs> be somebody should do a coloring. Book. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, there's the game we saw today, the Watershed right. game. The Watershed yeah. game.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I just wanted—I know. Listen, I've already taken too much of your time. The uh, happy hour has begun for the Goma team. I know you guys got to get together and think about the projects outside of eight hours of PowerPoint presentation. So, <laughs> uh, I really want to thank y'all for taking the time and being on the uh, on the show. Um, let me see. I'm going to get this right. Uh, let's see, Tracy Sempierre Yes. Uh the program manager for the Gulf of Mexico Alliance and Nikki Pace from Louisiana Sea Grants in Biloxi, right? No, that's the wrong state. That would state.
2: be Baton Rouge.
1: <laughs> oh, my
0: God. I we'll was take telling
1: her. We'll Baton take R- her. R- I knew it was a B. Yeah,
0: Biloxi's missing. Um, Chris Shepard from Key West, Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, with the Nature Conservancy and the boss of the whole thing, Rhonda Price, the chair of the Coastal Resiliency Team from Mississippi Division of M- Marine Resources, right? Did I get that That's right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thank you all very much for taking the time and being on the American Shoreline podcast, and we'll see you guys. Next time, and maybe come to another meeting.
3: That's yeah. right. All right. Thank you. you. Thank
0: you. <laughs>